go. You're listening to Open Mic Friday on this June the 4th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and it's Law and Gospel. Now, one of the goals of Law and Gospel is, of course, to inform you of the distinctions between law and gospel, namely that we are not saved by any works we do, but through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's another goal that we have on Law and Gospel, and I believe it's a goal that the KFUO radio programs all have, and that is to help the listener share the message of Christianity with friends. We have an email here, and you'll get to know what I'm talking about immediately. Dear Pastor Baker, I recently began listening to your radio program, Law and Gospel, over the Internet and enjoy the truth you express. I recently sent my good Roman Catholic friend an email and wondered if you could comment on it. And then in Christ, Rick. So here's the email that he sends to his Catholic friend. Does Paul teach faith alone. Paul wrote, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he quotes Romans 1, 17. Here is another translation. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If this righteousness is from God and is by faith from first to last or from faith to faith, then where is room for anything other than faith? If this righteousness from God is truly by faith, from first to last, then it is by faith alone. Does James teach or agree with salvation through faith alone? Now I'm going to interrupt because a lot of people, when they read the book of James, it sounds like works are more important than anything. So that's why he's asking about whether the book of James really teaches salvation through faith alone. Continuing with email, James uses Abraham as his primary example because he was considered righteous for what he did. However, what did Abraham actually do to be considered righteous? Did he sacrifice his son on the altar? No. The fact is that he didn't kill his son. Is that righteous? Is not killing one's own son a work worthy of eternal life? No. So what did Abraham do to be considered righteous? Let's ask James. And then he quotes from James 2, verse 23. Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. And then he puts in the original Genesis 15, 
verse 6. Hum. James never says that Abraham was righteous, but rather that God credited his faith to him as righteousness. Abraham did not actually do righteous works on that mountain, unless we are to believe that killing the child is an intrinsically righteous work. But rather, even though his outward deeds were morally suspect, they showed that he had faith in God's command and promise that he would be the father of many nations through Israel, through Isaac, Genesis 22. In the end, it is God who justifies, Romans 8.33. And then he signs it for his Roman Catholic friend. I, I really like this email because he got me thinking even a little bit that when we say that Abraham is righteous, we need to understand that that righteousness was not based on his works. He was the biggest sinner as any of us. He also would have confessed that he deserves nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. But God gave him a promise that through Isaac, many nations would be blessed. Then God went ahead and told him to sacrifice his son. And as he was raising the knife to kill Isaac on the altar, God intervened and told him not to do that. Now, you wonder, wait a minute. If God told him that Isaac was going to be a blessing to many nations, why would he even put him to death? Because the sacrifice on the altar was initiated by a knife, killing the person and then burning the body. Well, we don't get our answer until the book of Hebrews, where in chapter 11, it talks about the faith of the various saints. And the faith of Abraham, it says that he was willing to do what God told him because he had already received Isaac from the dead, namely the dead womb of Sarah. And therefore, he believed it possible that even were Isaac to be sacrificed, God would raise him from the dead. In fact, on the way up to the mountain, he left two of the servants behind, and he told them, we will return to you. So this is a huge difference that Abraham wasn't considered righteous because of the works he was doing, but he was willing to do this one work because of his faith. And what is faith? Faith is trusting the promises of God. And what was that promise? That Isaac would be helpful to many, many nations. In fact, Abraham was declared righteous 25 years before that, when God came to him and his elderly wife, Sarah, 
she was 65, he was 75, and was told that they would have a baby. She was way past childbearing age. But while she kind of laughed and smirked at that, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So I, I think this email writer does a wonderful job in writing to his Roman Catholic friend that when you look at the Bible, salvation comes about by faith alone. And, and that's found in so many passages in the Bible, in Ephesians, that we are saved by grace through faith, not on account of our works, lest anyone should boast. It's not that Abraham, through the power of the Holy Spirit, did not do good works. But it is a fact that that good work was based on faith, trust in the promises of God. Another email. The subject is simply, literally, Pastor Baker, Someday on your program, could you define literally from a theologian's viewpoint? In the media and amongst Christians, the term literal reading of the Bible is thrown around. And I think no one really knows the definition of literal. Don't most people really mean literalistic and not literal? Your program is great. I download a week's worth of your programs and then listen to them at work. I'm a Presbyterian, so I hope you don't mind a Presbyterian learning law and gospel. And that email is from Wichita, Kansas. Okay, literally, this is a great question. What's the difference between literally and literalistically. Literalistically, you would take a passage in its context and believe what it actually says, even though it might be metaphorical. For example, the Bible talks about the mountains dancing for joy. Mountains don't dance for joy but it's a way in which God uses the Bible writers to talk about that the salvation of mankind is going to be one in which all of creation is going to be very, very happy. Uh, recently, I got an order for some of the books that we print, and this one was by Peter Kurowski, talking about our animals in heaven and are your pets in heaven? Well, that book makes it clear that the Bible says that on Judgment Day, God is going to put back together the fallen world like the Garden of Eden. And we know that in the Garden of Eden, there were animals. And we know that when the Bible talks about the future, it's talking about certain animals lying, even with children, and not hurting them. 
And, and so it seems pretty obvious that animals are going to be in heaven. Literal means you take a look at the context. And if there is something that appears to be metaphorical, then you don't take it literalistically. But many parts of the Bible are still to be taken literally. There, there actually are religions that don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Some believe it was Satan. The fact of the matter is, though, you cannot read the Bible without it making clear that Jesus was the one who died on the cross. Uh, another example of not taking things literalistically is some of the parables of Jesus. The, the parables are extended metaphors, and he used an earthly example, whether it was true or not, to give an example of what he is talking about. Remember the lawyer who came to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he told him the story of what has become known as the Good Samaritan. Now, whether or not there really was a Samaritan who stopped and helped a Jew who had been beaten up by Samaritan robbers, well, maybe yes, maybe no. But the point was, is that Jesus was using that as an example to make it clear that nobody can be saved by their works because the lawyer did not like Samaritans and to be a neighbor to them, it was not possible for him to do that. And so that's why we're saved, not by our works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So literally simply means taking the Bible at face value using scripture, interpreting scripture. A lot of people don't believe, we talked about this yesterday, that evolution is to be taken literally. But it's very clear that when God creates the world, it's within six 24-hour days and he even says what he creates on each day. There is nothing in the scripture to say that that was just a myth or metaphorical. In fact, you'll remember yesterday, we talked about a former pastor who said that because of Darwin, we can no longer believe that there was a Garden of Eden because the earth took billions of years to come into evolution and evolve from amoebas to fish to reptiles to monkeys to human beings. Whereas the Bible says very clearly, each followed its own kind. You cannot believe in evolution and therefore be a proper Christian because the theory of evolution is like the snake in the garden telling Eve a lie. Darwin is the snake and giving an impression 
which, by the way, was not his own concoction. Go back all the way to the fourth century, and there were philosophers who believed in a form of evolution, trying to figure out how could all of these individuals be on the earth if there is no God. So, if you hear a pastor talking about evolution, then that is someone who does not take the Bible literally. And in fact, this particular pastor yesterday was saying that the idea that Jesus died on the cross is ridiculous because that would not be a loving action by God the Father. So, we take a Bible not literalistically because a lot of times you need to look at the context and see that that's not really what it is saying. But we do take the Bible literally, which means if it says that Jesus rose from the dead bodily and appeared to his disciples, that's what happened. As I've mentioned before, I had a professor at Concordia Seminary uh, during the time I was there who believed that Jesus rose not physically, but spiritually. And in fact, what we hear a lot of times from some churches is that Jesus' body is at the right hand of God, and therefore it is not omnipresent. We believe that the attributes of the divinity of Jesus are shared with his humanity. So in his body, having ascended into heaven, he now knows all things. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. And he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. There's no distinction in the attributes of Jesus right now from those of the Father and the Holy Spirit. So I agree with the email writer that a lot of people, they take the Bible literalistically, and that's really not what needs to be done. To take the Bible literalistically means you're not using proper grammar and interpretation of the scripture. So we take it literally, which means we look at the words, we figure out what they mean from the context, and then go ahead. So that's another email. All right. Here we go with another one, uh, email that was received. The program on, and then they named the date, included thoughts of not being afraid of God's vengeance. A pastor I listen to quite often leaves me wondering about that. For example, he preached on Matthew 3, 1 to 12, doing a really good job of presenting repentance as turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Also that it is God's desires all men to turn from their sins and to Christ for forgiveness. 
but of 3 verse 10 in Matthew. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire, he says. John pictures us as trees with an ax poised to chop us down if we do not produce fruit. The fruit is a changed lifestyle for the better. Such a changed lifestyle is the result of the repentance that God brought into our lives. In 3.10, is God speaking to an impenitent or a penitent heart? Does the Acts represent judgment day for the impenitent as well as the penitent who has not produced good fruit? Bible Belt Christianity never lets penitent sinners out from under the law. It's as though there is no confidence that the gospel will produce good fruit. But penitent sinners still need the law to motivate them. And am I being too picky about threatening Christians with some kind of judgment if they do not produce good works? All right, I'd like to reply to this. First of all, one thing I might question a little bit is the definition of repentance as a turning away from sin and turning to Christ for forgiveness. It all depends what you mean by turning away from sin. If it means that you stop from sinning, no, that isn't what repentance is. Repentance is contrition over the fact that you cannot stop from sinning. And therefore, you look to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. You are not saved through your repentance in the sense that now you stop from sinning. Turning to Christ means to turn to him in faith. And so when he talks about the axe laid at the root of the various plants, is he talking about the penitent or the impenitent? He cannot be talking about the penitent because through the power of the Holy Spirit, they now have faith in Jesus Christ. We used Abraham a little earlier. He was still a sinner even after he believed the promise that he and Sarah would have a baby that would be a blessing to all nations. So I really agree with this email writer that some kinds of Christianities never let penitent sinners out from under the law. And the answer he gave is very good. It's as though there is no confidence that the gospel will produce good fruit. But penitent Christians still need the law to motivate them. Now, this is really an important distinction between law and gospel. The only reason the law motivates is because you're afraid of punishment. There is a third use of the law that tells us the will of God. But 
that simply informs us of what God's will is. And then the Holy Spirit within us moves us to follow that will of God because of our love for Jesus Christ. The gospel alone properly motivates us. The law may give us information, but apart from having faith, there is no help from the law. So an excellent email, understanding properly what repentance truly is, except that it is not turning away from sin, except in repenting of it, being contrite over it, and looking to Jesus Christ for salvation. This distinction between law and gospel, we will continue on Monday's Law and Gospel as we take a look at a lesson for the following Sunday in talking about how we are saved through faith alone. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.